I know what you are. Say it. Vampire. Hi, everyone, and welcome to One True Pairing, a.k.a. OTP. I'm Erica. I'm Marissa. And today we have an artist and writer from another Macmillan imprint, First Second. Um, her name is Tilly Walden. Say hi. Hi. <laughs> Tilly is a cartoonist and a graphic novelist who wrote On a Sunbeam, which just came out this past October. So today we're going to be asking Tilly all sorts of questions about herself and her brand new book, and we're going to do that a little bit later. But for now, Tilly, can you just introduce yourself? Let us know a little bit about you. Sure. Um, like you said before, I'm a cartoonist and I'm from Austin, Texas, but I currently live in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, my first sort of book with Macmillan with First Second was Spinning, which was a graphic memoir about my mm -hmm. very many years as a competitive figure skater. And after that, I was a little ready to, like, not talk about reality for a moment. So I switched gears and made this big space book, you know, on a sunbeam. Um, and it's full of romance and adventure and everything I didn't have in my ice skating childhood. Okay, well, before we dive in, we're going to break this down a little bit. We're going to be starting with Tilly's OTP because we've heard it's a contentious one. Um, oh and, then we're going to <laughs> and then we're going to ask her all sorts of questions. Works for me. And, and then lastly, we're going to play a really silly Thanksgiving game. Um, how does this, this all sounds great to you? This sounds great. All right, well, let's do this. So Tilly, tell us who your OTP is. Uh I, you know, it's embarrassing, but I, I had to be honest with myself when when Molly, my publicist, was like Tilly, who, who do you choose? Um, but it has to be it has to be Edward and Bella. Okay, so from uh, Twilight. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, I don't know. I don't know if Molly told you about this or if you listened to any of our previous episodes, <laughs> but I I'm coming from the opposite end of it. But I think this is going to be a good conversation because. We can hear from your perspective why you love it. Um, so, yeah, tell, yeah. Us, tell us what about Edward and Bella really struck you. You're also not the first person to come on this podcast and be like, Edward and Bella are my favorite. And Erica, Well, the thing is, is they're not they're not an ideal couple. Like the, their coupling is absolute trash. You know, <laughs> everything about Twilight is trash. But the Twilight, <laughs> the you. Twilight. The Twilight Fever, like, hit. The books came out around the same time as The Hunger Games, and I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. And I was at an all-girls middle school. And it was the first time in my life I ever really experienced what fandom was like, where mm -hmm. you're not alone in loving something. And, you know, because I'm gay, the whole, like, liking a straight couple thing was always sort of complex for me. But I, I just sort of loved that there was this... Um, I don't know. It was it was just there was this energy about it and there was this energy about the story and in the movies and I was totally obsessed with Kristen Stewart and it's really amazing to me now that she's like who she is today. Right. <laughs> today. That's just like mind blowing. And I just I just thought it was really fun and I thought it was really awful the way people sort of jumped down my throat and down everyone's mm -hmm. throat at my school about like oh these stupid silly girls they love this couple they're just you know freaks and I was like hold on he like actually drinks blood. Better Bella is very cool and drives a pickup truck and you know they want to s screw the world and be together and be vampires I was like of course I love this yeah I gotta be honest that's probably the best argument for, <laughs> for Bella and Edward that I've ever heard and I've heard 
yeah so many well because i don't i don't want to ever think of edward and bella as actually a guide for how i should be in a relationship it's her it's horrible and the <laughs> writing in twilight is really not good and full of like sexism and issues that i really don't like mm-hmm. um but i will never in my life have be a middle schooler again i'll never be a 12 year old girl and seeing the twilight movie with my friends for the first time like i was so struck by it all and so so taken with it that it will always live in my heart that's that's beautiful and i was just reading a i think it was a buzzfeed article about how there's like this twilight renaissance now because it's Mm. the 10th or 15th anniversary i can't remember um and how exactly that that you know it was basically all these people a lot of men jumping down girl young girls throats saying you can't like this thing mm-hmm. you don't deserve to mm-hmm. have a crush on this guy or 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 enjoy this because it represents like your desires basically or some yeah. you know some some young girls desires and rather than you know yes you can make all these valid arguments that the writing might not be the best or that she might you know uh, appropriate other cultures, or mm-hmm. the vampires, twi- they twinkle in the sun. Yeah, like you, you can, you can have valid arguments of why you don't like the book, but to hate on it just because a bunch of young girls love it is yeah. such a shitty thing. I will, I will give myself a tiny pat on the back. I always <laughs> hated Bella and Edward and the Twilight series just because I thought the writing was terrible and mm. they were not the best vampire human couple I had ever read. And I was also older when I read them, so. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was just a really it was a fun time to be a kid because that was such a renaissance for young adult literature. Mm-hmm. I mean, with the Hunger Games and Twilight and all of these books coming out, and I felt like people were like excited about kids reading. Yeah, um, and it was I it was a good time. I loved Hunger Games mm-hmm. with oh, the Fire of a Thousand Suns. Absolutely, I, I was so stoked that you loved those. They yeah. were amazing. And I did finish the whole Twilight series, and I I think there was a lot of improvement and a lot of growth in the characters that if you kept reading. Bella really does come into her own a bit, and um, I think Edward backs off some. Like I think she really like owns her place in his world, and that was nice to see. I don't. And I feel how do you feel eye. about the movies? Did, were you happy with the way the movies were done? You or? know, I really i I have a lot of fondness for the first movie. That's and I believe mm-hmm. that was the only one that was directed by a woman. Um, and yes, yeah. you know, the other movies I could kind of live without, but the first movie is so. It's 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 so perfectly terrible and perfectly great, and it has a great soundtrack. <laughs> um, so I do. I, I liked it, but the books, you know, I remember holding the book with that, like, hilarious image of the pale hands with the apple, and I was just mm-hmm. like, I'm such a teenager. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> I love you so much right now. Because <laughs> you're right. That package, that book package was actually super geared it was. towards teenage it girls. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the fact that adult women started picking it up later and it became the phenomenon it was mm-hmm. was just always to me as a young buck in publishing was always just mind boggling to me. Yeah. But but still I totally I totally get where you're coming from because you as a as a tween or as an actual teen when those books came out, you probably felt really cool and hyper literary reading this book. Oh, I did. What felt like a very graphic novel. Like not graphic in your way, but just a beautiful like graphic adult. cover that mm-hmm. feels Absolutely. more adult. yeah. This this isn't like the babysitter club. Exactly. This is like, where it's, and yeah. it was dark. I loved that yeah. it presented itself with this darkness. 
And it was mm-hmm. interesting, you know, after I, you know, finished middle school and went to high school, everyone sort of flipped and would like talk about yeah. their love for Twilight as like, oh God, it was so stupid. I never actually liked it. You know, it really, everyone went backwards because we were older and we were embarrassed. And I had this realization when I was like finishing up high school that, you know, I had done the same thing. I had backpedaled with all my friends like, oh, whatever, screw, ti- screw Twilight. There's other stuff. Um, that, you know, we never talked about it necessarily as screw Twilight. We talked about it as screw Bella. And so much of it was mm-hmm. this internalized sexism. And I realized it was, I mm-hmm. had followed my fellow classmates, and especially since I was in Texas, just to like hate on Bella because she was a girl and she was in love. And, you know, mm-hmm. I graduated and I realized this stuff and it made me love her even more just for the fact that she is who she is and it's written by a woman and... And like it was totally fine that we loved it, and so I, I, I like to yeah. stand on a pedestal and be like, "Yeah, fuck yeah, Twilight." It totally has problems, but I don't <laughs> want to let our hatred for women guide us in that. That's a really good point. It is like the most insult. <laughs> it really. Erica is feeling so much shame right now. You have no idea. Marissa's been giving me side well, eyes. Becca's what? giving me side eyes. It's just like this is actually probably the best defense of Bella yeah. and Edward that we. I'm honored. I'm glad. <laughs> if someone, if you're getting young people just to enjoy yeah. reading, I who know. cares? Like, and the and the book is not hurting them. Like, it's just it, it's if it's exciting them to read. Like, that's what's important. So that book probably caused a generation of young female readers and that's a good thing it probably inspired people to read more books too just in general not just young people i i feel like twilight was probably the first book that some adult women had picked up in years it was definitely it was one of the first series that i actually really read to completion because i always had a lot of a lot of trouble reading as a kid but i was so committed to Mm -hmm. like enjoying it with my friends that i was like i don't care if it's going to take me longer than my friends i'm going to finish these books so it was a revelation for me yeah that's awesome so you guys obviously ship them i'm not fully <laughs> convinced yet well and i i i'm i'm, I'm also though. fine with people who are not convinced i totally am on board with that i just have such a nostalgic connection to it that that keeps me there yeah. i will tell you i am after this i am much mm. closer to shipping them now than i have been talking to other people who have shipped edward and yeah. bella it's probably the most intelligent answer as to why people could ship them as a couple and ship the series as a whole that I think I've ever heard. Yeah. Yes, so you I did it. <laughs> We're going to go, go to a quick ad break. break. Stay, Stay tuned for more, more after, after this. this. <laughs> yes. So we want to take a moment now to talk about you. Since it's one of the reasons, yeah, no you, one can see, but I just, sorry, I no one can actually see nose. that you just tapped yourself <laughs> on the nose. So, what drew you into cartooning? It's such a fun and interesting angle that I think maybe it's not that a lot of women don't do it, oh, but no. it's not as celebrated as much as you see male cartoonists. So, mm-hmm. what drew you into it? It was really, it was really random and not at all planned. I mean, if you had asked me when I was fifteen, "What do you want to be when I grow up?" I wouldn't have even known the word cartoonist existed. At the time, my aspirations were to become Pam from The Office and just be nice. be a receptionist, only find, like, a female version of my Jim Halpert. That's um, it. I'm and sorry. I thought, we you know, need that show well, immediately. That show. <laughs> Literally. It would be so much more fulfilling. Um, yeah. But it was when I was I, – I can never remember. I was either – 
16, about to turn 17, or I had just turned 17. Either way, it doesn't matter. Uh, I took this class. I took this two-day comics workshop that my dad signed me up for. And only, you know, I, I had no real aspiration to draw comics. I, I had been okay at art, but not phenomenal. And I didn't even really like art class in school that much because I didn't ever connect well with other artsy kids. I thought they were all so consumed with pain. And I was like, can we just like be positive <laughs> for five minutes? Um, and go to bed um I think Stan decides he's going to be a goth kid and they're all talking about all of their pain and they're drawing pictures of like murder scenes. Exactly. Yeah, like, that's just, what that made me think of. Exactly. I just imagine you're drawing like rainbows and all your classmates are drawing like just all black rainbows and well, like <laughs> like vampire unicorns. And, oh like, my God. It, it felt like that. Um, and I never had, I was never like a natural at it and I had friends who were naturals mm-hmm. at art and so I thought it wasn't for me. But I went to this class and it was Scott McCloud who led the class and he's obviously a very, a very famous cartoonist and I made comics for the first time and after that class I have literally not stopped drawing comics since that is so cool that's so fun that was it um can you tell us a little bit about your career from the time so from the time you started drawing and how did you get discovered um sure sure how, I mean, how do you even begin to write a graphic novel well I you know the key is just beginning um I had no idea what I was doing when I first started making a graphic novel I just did it and you know it was full of issues and inconsistencies but I had a blast doing it and that was ultimately all that really mattered to me um and I I got found on Twitter that was how it happened for me uh I was very lucky because it happened it happened where I hadn't even really thought about publishing a book when someone approached me about publishing a book. So I never had that phase in my life where I was like, oh, God, I really want this. And I was mm-hmm. sort of pining after it. Someone came to me about it. And then it was like, oh, do I want this? And I was like, I guess I do. And, you know, from the time I was 18 until now, I just sort of published all these books in a whirlwind. Um, and it's still strange to think back on how it happened. Um, and honestly, I think it happened too fast. Uh, <laughs> I, really? No, really. I, I was very young. Um, I'm still very young. And it's completely changed the course of my life because of it. But, you know, because I've published these books and because, you know, I eventually found an agent and, and started working with First Second, I've been able to support myself, you know, solely making comics. And that gives me the luxury of just waking up every day and drawing, which is wonderful you know it's wonderful yeah. god i'm jealous of your life <laughs> i know it's a good life um it's it's a really that's a really good life i wish i could just wake up and like and <laughs> draw your stick figures draw, draw your stick, your stick figures. figures one day one day someday um so we were reading up on you before we started the podcast and you were the youngest person to win an eisner award i suppose uh, how how has this been for you? Like, tell us a little bit about your achievements and what was your proudest moment? Oh, proudest moment. You know, it's funny. I, I don't, I'm very grateful for all, like, the kind of, for the Eisner, for other awards I've won, um, for the good reviews, for all the people who support me. But, like, my proudest moments have, have always been really you know, just kind of small things like when my editor says she's proud of me or, or when I've made really good friends at my publisher. And it's all, it's the human stuff that actually means something to me. Um, people I've met along the way who have come out to me, um, families, parents, daughters. Um, the awards ultimately don't help me sleep at night. They're, they're nice and they're great because they help sell books and they help get the word out. And it's, it's nice to be noticed for what you work so hard on, but they're never, they're not the reason I keep going. 
Good for you. I think you're my new role model. Yeah. So, FYI. <laughs> okay, so tell us about On a Sunbeam, um, what it's about, where'd you get the inspiration from, and how you can come up with those images because it was such a beautiful book. Yeah, I just, I really, I really tried to have fun with it. I really tried to be open with myself. You know, I think you make your best decisions when you feel um, sure of yourself and when you feel, you know, very loved and very secure. And when I was working on Sunbeam, I tried not to think about, you know, fear, not don't think about making a good book. Just try and like make you know, make something that you haven't seen before. That's always my goal with with art. Like I get to illustrate things that will never exist and it gives me this chance to live these other lives and live in these other worlds. And so with every chapter, I just tried to sort of push the boundaries of the world building and and uh and with Sunbeam it was it was just that. It was it was exploring this idea of we live in space only we are not tethered to land. We're not tethered to anything we're not tethered to anything. You know, their school simply floats around just because that's how I always felt in school. I felt like we were just in this abyss. Um, and they're constantly jumping to all these places that, you know, could never be mapped because it's just so vast. And, you know, I travel a lot and that's often how I feel in foreign cities. I just feel like, oh my God, who am I? What am I? Where does this street go? And I wanted to kind of bring out that feeling in On a Sunbeam. You definitely did. That's a perfect way to describe it because... I was so curious about that. I was like, I wasn't sure if this was like the floating was a result of something. Was it like, you know, there was an earth and then it exploded. And so all the buildings are just floating. <laughs> right, or whatever. Right, right. But I love that, that it was more just like, no, this is the feeling I wanted to evoke. And you did that perfectly. I loved the book and I loved, I loved the like growth for Mia. Like it was so cool yeah. to see her come into her own through the whole book who her who her <laughs> yeah so give us a little bit of like the plot of the book gotcha so it's two storylines one is uh when mia is who is the protagonist when she is young and she is in boarding school probably around ninth grade um and she's very much your like classic floating kid who has way too much energy speaks way too much but is also very much unsure of who she is and uh, very much searching for a place. I think of Mia as the kid who's really good at being friends with everyone, but not good at making actual friends, you know? Mm -hmm. And all of that changes when a girl shows up, uh, this girl, Grace, who is a new student and a relationship ensues. Uh, And then the second storyline, without explaining how exactly she got there, is when Mia is older and in a very different place in her life where she is a little more sure of who she is, but doesn't know how to live that life, doesn't know how to take what she knows about herself and make it into something. And so she's living and working with this crew of women and queer people um, where their job is basically a construction job. They, they fly to these buildings, they reconstruct them, and then they go to their next job. And, you know, the story is about her with her crew, her with Grace, and, and how all those relationships develop and ultimately connect. Because ultimately those two storylines do become one. And it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Thank Um, you. Yeah. So how important was it to you? How how important was you to have like the diversity that you have in this book? Like you said, the crew is made up of all women and and queer people. Mm -hmm. Mia and Grace are obviously. And non-binary too, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, non-binary. So non-binary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It was it was vital because I I don't know much about sci-fi, but I do know it's like completely run by like gross crusty old white men um Mm -hmm. and oh such facts (laughs) and i just needed 
I needed this world, especially at a time where our world is very hard to swallow and hard to deal with. Um, I needed this crew to represent the life I live. Um, mm -hmm. And that is a life full of queer people, full of people of color, um, and full of people who have so many other problems besides just being queer or not being mm -hmm. white. You know, like I, I, a lot of people ask me and, and talk to me about like, oh, how do I, you know, write diverse characters and blah, blah, blah. And I sort of hate that question, but I, I'll answer it and talk a lot about how, you know, I may be gay, but most of my issues don't revolve around that. I've got plenty right. of gay issues, but I also like have to figure out what I'm going to eat for dinner tonight. And I also have to pay yeah. rent. Like, and so much of the problems come from people boiling me down into this mm -hmm. one concept. And with this cast and this book, I wanted to both give them identities that were diverse and that people could relate to and give them so much more than that. And yeah. give them pasts and futures and relationships um, and complexities. And so that and, and that ultimately built the plot because mm -hmm. the plot is not about like some I don't know. I don't even know. I haven't even seen Star Wars, but I assume it's about wars and stars. Um, <laughs> yes. And and I, I didn't want the plot to be around like, let me blow up this spaceship or let me get to find this alien. Like I wanted it to be about what do you do when you love someone when you're young and you grow and they grow and what does that mean for what you had then mm -hmm. you know what does that mean for who you are now how how does that thing sitting between you grow alongside you that to me is much more interesting than like a space battle yeah i will tell you you can very easily distill star wars into the two sentences that you just described <laughs> like people are in space and they're blowing things and they up. Blow stuff up yeah that's yeah. pretty much yeah. uh, Pew pew. Yeah. Yeah. And I loved I love that about the book that um, exactly what you're saying, that this was just about their lives, them just trying to live their lives, because mm -hmm. when um, when Grace's sisters come at one point and they meet Mia, they're like, oh, you have your first girlfriend. And it's not like, oh, you have a girlfriend. It's it's yeah. just like, you know, it's just part of the, everyone's lives. And I love that, that it just felt it is natural and it just felt so natural. So. Well, and that's yeah. that's something that most queer people don't get. We don't get to have our parents and our siblings coo over us and exactly, embarrass yeah. us because mm -hmm. there's so much other shit that comes along mm -hmm. with being who we are. And I want to live in a world where, like, a girl could bring home her girlfriend and her mom would just be like, aren't you cute? And they go, mom, yeah. stop, God. Exactly. You know, yeah. it's, there's not this pressure of, like, who am I? Like, I wanted, I wanted their existences to not be political. I wanted mm -hmm. them to have a chance to just exist. Yeah. And you, you did that beautifully. So Thank I you. certainly ship Mia and Grace. And um, so hard. Um, So our game today is called On a Turkey Beam, since this episode is premiering right before Thanksgiving. It's sticking with the Thanksgiving theme, but also the space theme to match On a Sunbeam. We're going to give you either a breed of turkey or a possible dwarf planet, and you have to guess which is which. Our producer, Becky, has all of the answers, because we don't. Um, and our audience will hear this sound, if you're right, and this sound, if you're wrong. Okay, Tilly, if you're ready, give us a gobble gobble. <laughs> gobble gobble. Great. <laughs> okay. So Marissa, much do you gobble. Take the... Okay, will... you take the next one. I'll take the first one. Okay, okay, so okay, so which is the turkey and which is the planet? A Beltsville small white and a Sedna. I will say small white is the turkey and the other one is the planet. You're right. Yes. Woo! Yes. Good job. <laughs> okay. Which is the turkey and which is the planet? Huya Narragansett. Those are t Huya. 
Huya is one thing and Narragansett is the other? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go Huya Planet Narragansett Turkey. You're right, You're right again. again. Oh, <laughs> what the hell? God, do I you feel just, like I'm on, do wait, you, wait, don't tell me, and I'm getting everything ready. Do you, do you study, like, tiny planets and turkeys? And, and turkeys <laughs> no, for fun? I just, I just have faith in myself. God, okay. you're such a good motivational speaker. Okay, the next one, Varuna. Varuna. And Blue Slate. Blue Slate. Blue Slate. Wow, my instinct said turkey, but mm-hmm. would someone name a dwarf planet Blue Slate? No, I'm going to go Blue Slate turkey. Blue Slate turkey? Yeah. Yes. Good job. <laughs> Trust your instinct. Dude, you're so good at this. That's the lesson from this whole podcast. <laughs> Trust your instinct. Trust your instinct. Comes to turkeys. All right, I'm gonna massacre this pronunciation. Are you ready? I'm ready. Zagorji or Dizawana? Dizawana? Let's say that's the, yeah. the planet. Dizawana's the planet and Zagorji is the turkey? Yeah. Oh, God, you're right again. <laughs> Fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, the result of this is I just really want to eat Thanksgiving dinner, like, right now. Right? (laughs) Like, we should have had turkey as part of this recording. And I think we should all write a letter to NASA being like, do better with your planet names and go to the turkey family for future ideas. Or we could just screw things up and tell NASA to name their dwarf planets after turkeys, which would just, like, make this game implode. What? (laughs) You're a bastion of brilliance. Oh, thank you. Well, that's that. Tilly, thank you so much for being on. You're an amazing guest. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Uh, Where can people find you on social media? They can find me uh, across all platforms at at Tilly Walden. That's T-I-L-L-I-E. And uh, if you don't feel like doing that, just Google Tilly Walden. I am the only one in existence. And that'll bring you to my website and my Twitter and, and all of the above. So for our listeners, you guys can buy On a Sunbeam wherever books are sold. And please don't forget to rate and comment. You can subscribe to the show for free on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or literally anywhere podcasts are. And we definitely want to hear from you with all of your couple ideas, segment ideas, you name it. We're interested. You can either tweet at us at OTP underscore pod or shoot us an email at OTP at Macmillan.com. That's OTP at M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.com. Cheers. Cheers. One Shoe Pairing is produced by our goddess, Becky Celestina, with support from the fabulous Alexander Abnos and Katie Ferguson. The senior editor of Macmillan Podcast is the amazing Alyssa Martino. To find out more about OTP and all of Macmillan's other awesome shows, visit us at macmillanpodcast.com.